Someone asks me, uh, someone with an idea or a young entrepreneur, you know, what should I do? And, and, and there's this conflict between designing the perfect product and getting a customer and then and then you lose total control. And then the customer will take you where you need to go because you're really actually you're really here to solve their problem. I'd say that was that first big moment for us. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to Mind Your Own Business. I hope you enjoy the honest business advice and personal stories of mistakes and magic. I'm Sue Stiles, your host and business expert, and I am here to share hope and practical and proven tactics to build your business. Hey, all the steps to success and twice the grit. Visit me for business resources, advice and offers at suestyles.com. And now back to the show. Hello, welcome to another episode of Mind Your Own Business. I'm your host, Sue Stiles, and today, very happy to bring with to all of you, Chris Labossier, who is a fellow Albertan and quite a well-respected entrepreneur. And he started his business experience because he had a need when he took online training himself, uh, going to be a pilot with a friend. 20 years later, his We Know training on online training serves the financial services industry, the health and safety industry, recently the real estate industry, which is how we met. And maybe I can just say, hello, Chris, can you tell us how did you start? What happened when you tried to become a pilot? Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. We being myself and my business partner, Don Reap at the time, we met each other actually at flight school in Edmonton, and we were both going through our journey in terms of licensing to become private pilots. This is fairly early, early internet days. So this would have been right around the year 2000, actually. And so the internet didn't have all the things it has now. And one thing it didn't have at all was solutions for us to complement our learning. And so exam prep, particularly was a, a big hole in the market. And so we just decided, you know, Don was a great software engineer, still is. I, I was more of a business development, you know, kind of mind. And and we just saw a hole in the market and we said, let's build this little training website called pilotexams.com and fast forward 20 years and we built the largest, uh, you know, exam business in Canada that, that we did sell to a U.S. company in 2020. And uh, and we've kept the online training business. So we, we've kept our focus on education and training. Uh, at exams is a very, very different market. It's usually serving the regulator directly. Uh, we're, we're basically protecting the public when you when you administer an exam, whereas training has a lot more, a lot more moving parts and a lot more, uh, you know, varied impacts you could have. And, and uh, we love the business. It's truly a global business. We can provide support to uh, learners all around the world in many different sectors, as you mentioned. So, uh, so yeah, it's just been a, it's been an iterative process, uh, but started when we saw that first tiny little problem that, that the market didn't, didn't have yet solved. I really connected with that when I read that about you on your website on We Know Training because also my own almost 20 years ago, when I went through the real estate licensing course, I'd already been working in real estate. I already knew, you know, how to do the business from the office side of things. And when I took the course, I just didn't feel like it set anybody up for success. And so instead of becoming a real estate agent, I thought someone needs to teach this better, you know, and, and there comes a career that I never set out to really have, but the problem, and then you get the need. Um, when you look back, 
you know, what was, if you want to say, what was the lift? What was the thrust that first got you your success as you brought a new product to market? So, you know, probably if I look at certain catalyst moments and, you know, maybe growths and plateaus and maybe ironically, but the uh, Alberta Real Estate Association was actually our first big client. Uh, now that was that was to deliver exams. 2006, we we signed an agreement to deliver all the exams for the real estate industry in Alberta, and uh, and by then we had a number of properties across North America. We partnered with real estate schools, uh, Gold Coast schools in Florida was a big, big, big early partner of ours. In fact, they invested in the business early on, so we had a lot of real estate kind of themed investments. And then when we got the real estate association testing contract, it really forced us to a lot of product development. So there was a, a lot of demanding product need in terms of what a you know a high stakes uh, professional exam delivery software should do it forced us to have service standards and things so that big contract and, and I often when I, someone asks me uh, someone with an idea or a young entrepreneur you know you know what should I do and 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 there's this conflict between designing the perfect product and 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 then you know getting a customer and then and then you lose total control and then the customer will take you where you need to go because you're really actually you're really here to solve their problem. I'd say that was that first big moment for us. And I've always felt like it's foundational. Now, I'm 20 years of experience has taught me uh, that just get a customer mentality can also be very damaging. We've gone through many lessons in our organization's history where we had customers that weren't strategic they weren't a strategic fit or they demanded stuff that we didn't wasn't part of our our vision or mission and our values and so it's a little bit of both i think definitely though you don't really have a real business until you have revenue and, and you need a customer to have revenue and so that finding that first customer is so 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 important yeah i totally agree and every startup i mean so rello now is kind of a startup, you know, it's just starting out, although you have all of this history and this backing and this experience. Did you have marketing experience before you started the, these businesses? Well, not in the traditional sense. So I would say that, you know, if I had any direct traditional experience, it would be more sales versus marketing, which is those are very different practices and very different uh, uh, experiences and specialties. Certainly, we had we had a vision, and you know, twenty years of serving the real estate industry. We, a lot of the problems that we saw are now presented as our value adds and our solutions at at Rello. So, if we're talking about that one particular website, we we operate dozens, but in that one business case, we really wanted to throw on its head the old mentality that it's just about getting your license. That's just brute force learning and passing an exam and. Um, not easy. It's a 160-hour program. It, this is part of the challenge is to try to innovate something that is so big uh, in terms of a learner journey. But the real problem is actually just that seemingly like this attrition and failure rate of new real estate uh, you know, practitioners or realtors. And we want to solve the problem differently in the sense that uh, we created something called the RICO system. We don't want people to just buy a SKU and take a course and leave us. We want to actually created an environment where they can access mentoring, tutoring, coaching, uh, how to start your business, what's, what does it take to be successful? Because really, realtors are entrepreneurs in their own right. They're sole proprietors. And so that belief system then drove our marketing decision. So, you know, what the website would look like, what it would feel like, how we approach the market in terms of, uh, you know, thought leadership. So a big part of our, our belief system is thought leadership. So giving away tons and tons of free content to our learners 
to help them understand what they're getting into as a realtor is not required by the regulator. Like we didn't need that to get approved as a school. We needed to hit all the competency uh, framework expectations. That was really more of a value set or vision for the uh, solving the real problem that then drove our entire marketing. And it's still, we're still learning and we're still trying to improve it. Yeah, it totally does. Especially after what you just said, um, becoming customer centric where you're, thinking like the customer, but you bring your strategy to that as well. So you've got the business side and what does a customer need? And certainly anybody that goes through any licensing course, if you're a mortgage broker or massage therapist, that's only the first step. And then, you know, then your arms are open to the business. And now what? Right. And nobody else is offering that. Each little brokerage just has its own little if they do offer training, they've got their own training. But this now could become like a hub for new agents, at, well, for anybody, I guess, to come and learn from. That applies to all our businesses. So if we're delivering health and safety training, again, the simple objective seemingly is to get that certificate in your wallet so you can go on the job site. And, you know, but the real objective is to send people home safely at the end of every day to their families and, and, you know, make sure they're really learning. So their behavior uh, drives them towards safer outcomes. And we can apply that in all the businesses that, w- that we're in. We, we, we stay focused, you know, and it drives our marketing messages and it drives our corporate culture as well. What could a person take from how you discover marketing? So you've got a brand that's Rello you know, and everyone, when they get their licensing, they've got to develop their brand. Are are there any keys or any steps that you, you went through that maybe other people could take for themselves to try to come up with something that meets the needs? So uh, I think in terms of, you know, realtors are sole proprietors and, you know, generally they work, they're kind of lone wolves, if you will. And and then companies are, you know, a collection of uh, people around products and services. Um, but I've always believed that vision, values, uh, personality, and authenticity are, are key drivers of success regardless. So you you don't want, especially in today's world, we've become so accustomed to consuming so much information that's, you know, fake or fraudulent or just pure marketing for sales sense. And, and so we have these really finely tuned authenticity filters nowadays I can tell when, when I'm being sold to versus when someone's offering me a true value perspective of why I should partner with them. And and I believe that the biggest thing, sole proprietor all the way up to the biggest corporations need to be authentic, open, honest, uh, you know, accept where you're where you've dropped the ball. Uh, you know, it's it's really all about so if your marketing, you know, has that tone, if it's humble but confident and and uh, kind and diverse and then I just believe that that will give you a step ahead. People who are purely just transactional. And and again, not to take away from the value of the transaction in terms of the sustainability of the whole business or, I, or, or person, but if it's purely transactional for transactional sake, that's hard to market. There's nothing in there about how it's going to feel to partner with us when you do business with us. So that's always been a big thing for me. We've always have very finely tuned kind of you know, mission and value and uh, and, and uh, core purpose uh, uh, in our organizations because those are our guideposts and they set the tone for how we talk, you know, and, and how we listen. Yeah. I think a lot of entrepreneurs that I meet don't do that kind of exercise 
you know, once they get licensed, it's not one of the first things that they do. Um, you know, they're not sitting down saying, oh, I think I'll do a values exercise. Let me do some research on who am I as a service provider? So that's really insightful. Thank you for that. You know, I know it takes a lot of tenacity to start a business, run a business, grow a business. I mean, you've you've got millions of people who have taken your training. Where did that come from? Did you think you'd be doing something like this when you were a kid? Or who who was Chris when he was, you know, 12? Well, I, that's a, that's, uh, I had a very uh, challenged like uh, childhood. I, I went to like 16 schools in 12 years. We were, I was a product of a broken home and there was, uh, you know, I was in foster homes for a little while and what, and, you know, long time single mom who unfortunately it was, you know, we had to re- rely on welfare in other ways to survive. And, and uh, you know, I just feel like in my DNA was something that says, I don't want that. I want to, I want to, I want to escape that. And uh, I don't want, if anything, I generally don't want to, I don't want to impose that same uh, outcome on my children. And so I was always just highly motivated, but I, I've really learned a lot, I think lately to go that it was the fact that I was truly, totally comfortable with taking risk. Like when you, when you kind of come from a place where security is not, you know, you don't take it for granted and it's not a given. You learn to live in a place like that and you learn to be to be more comfortable that you're not going to be sure that if I make this decision tomorrow, it might be bad. And I just wasted a thousand dollars on on a, on a marketing campaign. And but I'll figure out how to respond and be resilient to that. And so I think that's ultimately it is just this risky risk taping appetite. And then I was also just hyper curious about what I'd call capital markets. I don't know if I have the right macroeconomic words. I didn't get I didn't get through even even <laughs> high school. So but I can tell you that I was deeply curious as a kid. I was reading the stock page when there used to be that in the newspaper and I'd see the the the, the ticker symbol and the bid and the ask and then the 52 week high and low. And I didn't know what those numbers meant. And I started to research them. Then I started to look at one company and like what drives the stock price. And you realize how you know, capital can be used to create a return. And that's a really fascinating thing to me because I think that there's something quite democratizing about about uh, the opportunity to be an entrepreneur uh, in the sense that you don't need a new idea like that. In fact, I have the saying and bugs some of my friends. I was like, there are no new ideas because people, you know, always bring me an idea and they're like, nobody's thought of this. I'm like, somebody thought about this. And lots of people have thought about this. But, you know, it doesn't mean you can't succeed. You could be wildly successful. It's just that you have to apply better thinking and you need to be better capitalized or you need to have a a better strategy. Uh, So I don't know where it came from. It's uh, it's who I am and I get a lot of joy from it and I wouldn't do anything else. Like I don't have hobbies otherwise. I mean, this is what I love to do. So I hear that from a lot of entrepreneurs, too. What do you do in your free time? What what free time? I work. I go up to my office. I you know, I manage something else, but I can identify, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that, you know, the hardships that we go through, everyone has their own stuff, and it, it can be turned for good, you know, as you're getting older and developing the own life, your own life that you want to live. I know when um, I myself had, was a single parent of four kids going through bankruptcy, and I remember thinking, you know, uh, when you've got nothing to lose, then nothing can stand in your way. And it comes like that elements that you can take a risk 
because you got nothing to lose. I do often, like, I want to be sure to say that that's not an exceptional story that I've known as we sit here, large percentages of our population are going through those struggles. Um, and uh, that's, that's not ideal, but, uh, but amongst entrepreneurs, I've noted that that's a higher probability of how someone became an entrepreneur. And, and so that's actually why I'm quite fascinated where I think certain segments of the population that struggle with traditional traditional paths. So education uh, to a corporate career to, you know, retirement. Uh, I think there's actually some folks that maybe have had really tough lives that would be exceptional entrepreneurs. And we got to give them somehow little ways to escape their old way and, and chart a new way because, you know, for sure the best salespeople and, and the best entrepreneurs I've encountered are ones that can deal with a lot of adversity. <laughs> yes. Well, I know you have helped a lot of people reach their goals um, and probably inspired amongst your company and the things that you've been doing. But people that helped you along the way, any pivotal, pivotal um, experiences that you had where someone reached out with a hand and offered you some help that made a difference? Uh, well, I have a mentor slash old boss that was uh when i was i spent 17 years in the waste in solid waste and recycling industry and uh and he was not very 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 rough around the edges so i mean i have to be i have to look back now and, and say there was a lot of flaws there in terms of his leadership style and his mentorship but there was also just he was extraordinarily focused on allowing like decentralized autonomous people to have full PL responsibility. And so I had to learn that very early. I was running a, a waste company by the time I was 24 in Lethbridge. He just it empowered people. And, but it came with a lot of responsibility, accountability, and frankly, and, and inevitably a lot of turnover and a lot of unhappy folks. So I take, yeah. I take the good with the bad there, but he was, a, he was certainly a, a very important formative uh, part of my development. You know, and then I, I would say every employee that's given us, their time and willingness to kind of jump on uh, whatever our collective journey is, what our purpose and vision and mission is. I, I'm learning to really, really appreciate that the, the diversity and the nature of how people see the world, their, their experience, like a 25, 30 year old knowledge economy worker today versus, a, you know, 60, 70 year old, you know, senior executive who has corporate experience, those folks see the world very differently. And so I don't know if I'd, now I'd probably be a lot less about one person and say that trying to get as much, collect as much of that value of all those different perspectives is, is really become an important part of how I can, you know, check myself and learn and, and keep learning. Are you an avid book reader or you, do you recommend any books? Uh, I do read a lot of books. I, I no longer read a lot of business books. I find uh, I can't, you know, I just couldn't restructure everything to, or to go around a new philosophy when it comes to some of that. But I do read a lot of biographies. I feel uh, when you learn about somebody that's done something extraordinary in, in the world, like truly at, at a global, uh, on a global basis, uh, it's fascinating for me to learn about them and how that happened. And so I, I'm a big fan of uh, Warren Buffett, there's a book called Snowball, which is really a part biography, part kind of about how his view of the world is. And that that would be very similar to mine in terms of, you know, capital and return on capital. And probably the Steve Jobs books by Walter Isaacson is, is super, you know, really a story about a, an entrepreneur who, you know, almost invented his own reality. I mean, they called it the reality distortion field. And, and, and that that's a pretty magical when you, when you see that in real world, that's what my old boss was like in many ways he had, there was the truth. And then there was his version of the truth. 
so that's a great book too. And then I just love novels. I, I tend to, I like, I like to use a book as a, as a distraction, a story. Mm, sure. Yes. Oh, they're good for so many things. I love the alternate reality because as Picasso said, I think it was, you know, everything you can imagine is real. If you can imagine it, you know, it's real and can be real for you. Yeah. If, you know, if someone came up to you and asked you for your best piece of advice, they wanted to start a business, what would you say to them? Well, I used to say, get a customer. Then then it's come back to me. Then it's real. When someone was willing to give you money, then it's real. That's typical around product and software ideas because that, that's, you know, that's often this idea that you have to build the perfect thing and then then it'll just magically appear. And I, I believe that it's more iterative from the first customer. Um, I don't know if I'd say that as much anymore. I'd say more like be more skeptical of your of yourself, uh, your idea and, and your what your definition of what success looks like. Be a lot more practical. It just gives you more breathing room later. I hate to see, you know, what might be a good idea die because it just didn't, it wasn't well capitalized. It wasn't as strategically designed as it should be. So, so I think more reflective is how I'd say it today. And that's just based on 20 years of experience of like proving virtually every wrong way of doing something. <laughs> and, and when you learn that optimism is good, it's a source of energy, but it's also a source of so many bad mistakes. Um, so mm. I don't know, that's not a very optimistic, that's not a, a you know, idealistic, uh, you know, bit of advice, but but I think it's important. Um, and and actually, the other thing that I would say is absolutely understand how capital works because, um, you know, the concept of working capital. So if you're a sole single entrepreneur and, you you, you know, you got to understand what your working capital, you know, the cash. Like, so I, I had the luxury for the first 17 years of my career to work for large publicly traded companies that had virtually i had no virtually no constraint in terms of uh how much access to capital i could get as long as i could prove the return uh so we could bid on the city of calgary waste collection contract i might need 20 million in capital to do it but as long as the pricing and the return was good there was an unlimited treasury behind me uh to then becoming a sole entrepreneur and starting a business and then scaling a business and you realize holy cow i I didn't realize I'm only going to get I'm only going to get paid I'm not going to get paid for 90 days here. I'm not going to get paid for a year because I'm building a product, but I'm going to be burning 100,000 a month in developer income and salaries and and that if you can't really understand the capital constraints and clear as much of that as you can in advance, being being either well capitalized or building a model that like in our our first business model was revenue sharing. And and that that would change the game for us because when we built a website to sell a practice exam for a real estate school in Florida and they sold a, a unit for 50 bucks, we were collecting the money. We kept 25 and gave them 25. Well, we had no receivables. So that allowed us to grow so much quicker because we were well capitalized in terms of working capital. So I, a lot of people don't think about that and uh, it's the failure and causes a lot of failure in business. If you don't have the proper money, you need to, you know, to run your life. So. Oh, of course. I think that's great advice. In fact, it's something that I don't hear entrepreneurs talk about very much. There's they're bootstrapped and, you know, sometimes kind of cheap and, you know, they don't know where the money comes from and sometimes where it's going to. Uh, so I really appreciate that piece of advice, Chris. And, and I think we've seen the opposite too, where you have 
really well capitalized businesses that because they're so well capitalized are very undisciplined and like i think that would be an example of when you see these big tech you know these big private equity backed tech ideas like you know and, and like someone spending 50 million dollars on pets.com thinking that the market will materialize and and hundreds of developers and fancy offices so there's also that too if you're so overcapitalized you can become undisciplined so the bootstrapping is is important phase of of the idea development of a business or or an idea i think mm -hmm. well i know from my experience working with rello the brand looks great i know the online stuff is all being taken care of um but it's from high tech you know seo stuff but right down to you're talking to people the rello staff are talking to people and you're listening to your customers would you have any last words about that journey? The world not really knowing the inner workings of that industry and how how it came to be, you know, there was a it's a unique thing, uh, like in the history of the country, where the government uh, uh, or at least the regulator decided to not be in the education, as probably as a church and state thing was probably smart. Their job is to regulate industry, not not to not to teach. Uh, so to pull them out and basically create this wide open new space and everyone that could be accredited and approved could build a real estate school. It's not still not insignificant in terms of effort. It was six months of, of 160 hour course development, uh, brand development, uh, all the working capital that goes into that. So it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And what what we didn't really plan for well enough is we didn't have a lot of time. The, the regulator said you know, originally it was going to be 12 months. Uh, then they said, but we're out of this by, I think, June 1st, if, I want to, if I'm going from memory. So now all of a sudden, we were like four months to build 160-hour learning experience. And so we really focused, I think, exceptionally well on the brand development. We partnered with an Edmonton agency called Y Station, who I think just did such a great job in terms of aligning our vision, mission, values, the Rico system idea with the brand. Uh, but, you know, we're still having to try to improve the course itself. Like, the, the unfortunately, the regulator also doesn't tell you what it, you know, they tell you this is what a realtor should know. They don't tell you here's the hundred questions that are going to be on the exam. Mm. So imagine sorting through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of different type stuff to teach, and you're trying not so trying to calibrate what the course itself is in terms of quality and content to the you know will this person be successful in the eyes of the regulator, and that that means passing the exam or completing the course so we've done fairly well there i think we've had good completion and exam results i think we're still probably the best uh there but i think we have to go back and and really improve the customer experience in terms of the quality of the content and mm -hmm. it's a work in progress like the industry has done this for decades and now all of a sudden we as a business had to come learn how to do it in, in six months so uh, it's been quite a journey it's been a lot of fun we're so committed to it we're trying to get rello across the country we want you know we want other provinces to open up real estate licensing or real estate training as a because this is the only province in canada where it is you can be a for-profit provider and we are the only for-profit provider too to this day. So we're still competing against an association. We're competing against the university. Uh, so institutions that have different kinds of voices, they have different mandates altogether. We're solely focused on creating successful realtors who succeed in the industry. So we have that single focus, which I think will help. But I appreciate yeah. you asking about it. It's it's a work in progress. We're very proud of where we are, but we know we got a long, long way to go. I think it's great to have that open autonomy in creating something. What does a real estate agent need? 
and just being able to recreate something that maybe, you know, had gotten old and from the feedback of my real estate clients wasn't very good. And now how can that be changed? And I, I know everyone at Rello is always um, taken seriously, even my feedback, my input, and I can't wait to see what uh, eventually comes of it. And and I thank you for taking your time. I know Rello is not the only company that you've got your hands on. So I appreciate that. And it's nice just to hear somebody's perception from big business for a couple decades. And now you're starting a startup. So I see you have the energy for it. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm looking forward to uh, catching up and, uh, and watching the rest of your stuff. And uh, um, yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a passionate Albertan, uh, you know, and Canadian, but especially care about, you know, knowledge economy and, and entrepreneurship in Alberta. And, and I was just down in Calgary last week meeting with uh, other CEOs to talk about economic development and knowledge economy sector. And I just think what you're doing and having conversations with Albertans about, you know, different types of opportunities that are you know, maybe non-traditional to our current economies. That's pretty cool too. So I want to say thanks for that. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure we'll bump into each other uh, more and more. I'm sure we will. And if you want to bump into Chris, where can people find you online? Give us your um, your website is we know training dot dot ca. Yeah. So our, CA. our training website is we know train dot ca. Uh, I'm uh, also at uh, altitude investments dot com or dot ca. I'm not even sure. <laughs> I should know. <laughs> um, and of course, Twitter. I'm a big big Twitter user as much as I was. Uh, but uh, uh, Chris at Chris Lavoisier on Twitter. Uh, and of course, on LinkedIn as well. So in business conversations, that's uh, those are all the places. Very good. Thank you so much for your time today. And uh, thanks for your insights. You're welcome. Please follow and review if you enjoy these podcasts. And then visit me at suestyles.com.